Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. Thanks for tuning in again. In this podcast episode, I'm having a wonderful discussion with my colleague and friend in the functional medicine, integrative medicine field, Dr. Frank Lippman. Dr. Lippman is, you probably know his name because he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's been in the health field for some time. And what I find really intriguing about what he has to offer in the field of medicine is that he has a very balanced Eastern-Western take on wellness. And so in this interview, you're going to find that it's very practical. I really try to whittle him down into providing us with a distillation of three different takeaways for wellness. And you'll want to check out his new book, which is available on April 3rd. So have a listen in and see what wellness tips you can pick out for your life to start now. Hello, Dr. Lippman. It's so fabulous to have you on the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. Welcome. Hi, Deanna. Lovely to be on. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. And um, I hear that you've got another book on the horizon. It's called I How do. to Be Well. Yeah, it's a great one too. My best ever, I think. You know, I saw that you had said that, and I was kind of curious what uh, what you think it makes it your, it your best book ever. Well, I, I think first of all, it's very practical. Second of all, it's a book for our times. You know, there's this title wave of wellness interest and there's just so much information out there and people are you know they want to get well but they don't know where to turn to and they're very busy they don't have the time so uh, I I think I put you know uh, over a hundred tips in a very accessible way to make it easy for people especially with time constraints to start getting on the health bandwagon and start making a difference in their lives by just making small changes. You know, I, I really love that concept of small changes to create a ripple effect into our whole lives. And I know that with you being in New York City and being in more cosmopolitan areas, but yet having a very nice uh, indoctrination, I would say, into ancient traditions and ancient medicine kind of coming from the healing world at a different level. You know, I'm just curious, just more philosophically speaking, how did we get into this state of so much busyness, so much doingness, where we have to read books on how to make ourselves well again? How did we even get here? That's a great question. And the book is actually, you know, trying to deal with that particular issue. I think part of it is we've been manipulated by industries, by, first of all, obviously the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry, we all know that, but now I think it's much worse because of the tech industry, and they've made us addicted to our phones and computers, 
and um, all their little gadgets that keep us busy all the time and keep us hooked in and, and not able to just be and be in nature and away from our gadgets. So I think the tech industry to me is playing a similar role in our health as I think the food industry has played over the years. And um, I think we need to become aware of it. And, uh, you know, as we get addicted to food, we get addicted to these tech gadgets. And it's it's extremely detri detrimental to our health. And I see the changes happening in generations. I see the 20 and 30-year-olds in particular that I see having more you know, or interesting or different types of issues Um and it's probably going to get worse with, with the younger generation. So I think the tech industry is playing a huge role in this. Now, I want to see the other side of the tech industry because I have been swirling within the realm of diagnostics, point-of-care devices, wearable technology. Yep. I've seen some people talk about, from the stage, their experience with diagnosing preclinical onsets of diseases because they were wearing tracking devices. And so by having yep. something like a pedometer, having an app or assessing their heart rate variability, they actually, or even their sleep patterns, that they seem to have better control of their health. And then I think of the yep. other side of it too, when you talk about people in their 20s and 30s, this is the, the generation of social media. And I think about all the, the teenagers that uh, may also be tapped into this as well. And I think about the sense of community that tech can give us. And so jumping on to Facebook or to Instagram, you know, don't these technological devices and even platforms, I mean, isn't it kind of like a continuum where there can be a positive yeah. benefit from these things too? Oh, absolutely. No, you're 100% correct. It's the, they're not all bad. It's like everything. They need to be used intelligently. It's like sun or um, certain foods. It's not a, a matter of it's either good or bad. It's extremely nuanced. But, um, and I do feel there's a really important place for these gadgets in, in, in helping us monitor our health. But I think it's taken too far. You know, we become addicted to these gadgets um, they work on, you know, those pings, you, you, you know, create the dopamine release as sugar will. Um, so yes, I think there is a spectrum and, um, but you need to be very smart about it. And I think most people aren't smart about it and we are being manipulated. Now, um, one thing I don't agree with you is, the community, the, the the community created by Facebook and um, these type of um, social media platforms, I think we got to be careful of. I think there's a. I talk about this in my book, by the way. I talk a lot of. You know, this is these are the issues that I do address. Um, I think they can be helpful, but I'm not quite sure it's the same as being. You know sitting next to someone, looking in their eyes, being present uh, with with people, you know. Th there's something about community created um, in terms like of the old types of community we've always had and needed, which is a little bit different. So, yes, to a certain extent, there's no question these gadgets are helpful in monitoring 
whether it's sleep or how much you walk or your blood sugar, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but I'm a bit wary of some of the communities or how we start the communities created with social media. I'm more wary of that, put it that way. I mean, it's, it's the same as Western medicine. It's not that all Western medicine is bad. Western medicine is wonderful at emergency care. So I think it's all nuanced. I think we've got to be very, very wary of it. It's not, I'm, I'm definitely not saying it's black or white or it's good or bad. It's, it's, it's much more nuanced, but we've got to be very, very wary because we're going down this rabbit hole. So what would be some smart ways to use technology then? I'm kind of curious how you use it, and maybe that will illuminate for us some of the better ways that we can be interfacing with technology. Like what are some basic tips? Um, well, I think one of them would be to take a digital detox, you know, whether it's daily or, you know, every week, take a day off, a day or two. It's really interesting to you know, when I get people to say, when I say to some of my patients, okay, leave your phone at home for a day and see how you feel. It's interesting how people get nervous and anxious. It's like, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just learning to control it rather than let you, you know, it control you. So that's one of the things I try encourage patients to do. The other one is to have what I call an electronic sundown by seven, eight, nine o'clock, the latest, just switch off everything. And you're not accessible to anyone. You're not looking at your computer. You, you're spending some downtime with your spouse or your, with your family. I think not having technology at meal times is important. I mean, uh, I, you know, whenever I go out and, and I see how many people are eating dinner together and then are on their phones. Um, what else? What are other simple ways? I mean, there are lots of simple things you can do. It's not that you shouldn't have a phone or a tracker or whatever, but I think some downtime or away time is very, very important. Don't, you know, don't get caught up in all the, you know, so many people are so obsessed about how many likes they get on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, you know, just don't get sucked into that. Yeah, um, I, I think so too. You know, it can have an emotional toll on us if we're not careful. In fact, I just recently had a conversation with one of my social media groups about this very thing. And my kind of feeling on social media is, um, you know, I think that people use it as an outlet for a lot of their opinions. They spend way too much time on social media. I'm always shocked. I'm thinking, where do they get the time to just like post on everybody's posts and like everybody's likes? And um, my feeling is, you know, it can also be a vehicle to express whether it, it's one's authenticity, you know, healing things can come from it. So I, I hear what you're saying, a digital detox, electronic sundown, meal times are absolutely, you know, I, I think that um, we have to remember what it's like to relate to the person across from us. Uh, and that dynamic, that relationship, and the meaning and the impact of it, and so yeah, I think some kind of blend is is good, uh, yeah, so that we, we feel connected, but yet we don't lose sight of people. No, absolutely, I'm, I I agree a hundred percent. I'm not saying throw away all your tech and and become a hermit, but you need some downtime. You need some time away from tech. I mean, most people will acknowledge how good they feel when they leave their phone and they go for a walk 
in in the forest or go for a walk on the beach. Um, so we we got to get you know you, you mentioned it earlier. You know I'm all about not going to live on a in a hut back in Africa, but I'm all all about you know getting to understand the simple things in life that make us happy and being grateful and aware of you know the the ordinary things in life that have extraordinary healing effects so to that point do you think that people are more in search of happiness than they are in search of wellness do you think that wellness is really just a way to get to more happiness you know what are people looking for when it comes to being happy well so that's actually a good question because we you know um, Robert Lustig talks about it, this in his new book. I don't know if you've read his new book. Um, what's it called? It's something. It's it's about technology, and he talks about the difference between a dopamine rush and a serotonin rush. The difference between pleasure and happiness, and how you know we we with all these dopamine rushes that we're getting from our social media, it's like actually giving us pleasure and not true happiness. Mm. So to answer your question on happiness and wellness, I mean, I think they, once again, it's a spectrum. I think the happier, when you truly are happy, you are going to be, uh, your wellness is going to be more attainable. You know, what is wellness? Wellness is an interesting concept, but I think happiness is part of being well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what does it look like? I, I think that for Western medicine, allopathic medicine, we know what disease looks like. And I'm not sure we completely understand what optimal health looks like. What does wellness look like? If, if you were talking with somebody on the street, you're, you're walking and, and you meet this person, they're the epitome of wellness, what are they exuding? What are they like? What are they like to talk with? Um, what are some of their, their qualities and characteristics? Right. So I think, I mean, the whole illusion of optimal health, whatever that means, to me it's like being on this journey. And on this journey means you have meaning and passion in your life. You're kind to others. You're doing um, – you, you're being of service. You're doing – um, things for others without accepting anything in return. This is all natural. You're grateful for the things you have. You have a, you know, you content with your family and community. Um, all of this, to me, is part of wellness. Um, and when I see when who, who do I think is is happy and well, it's. People who have passion and meaning in their life, those people are, you know, really stand out to me. I mean, they usually, well, I mean, most people who are well tend to eat as close to nature as possible or they're not eating crap. They tend to be moving their bodies. Um, they tend to do something to counter the stress um, in their lives. So, you know, and that could be anything from having a pet to, um, meditating to going for a walk on the beach. So they've structured their lives or they live their lives where they have this passion and meaning. Um, they're doing what they want to do. Um, and in other words, it's a, and you talk about it, it's these non-tangible aspects of health to me that actually – often are more important than, you know, what we we in the medical world, any, 
or the functional med medical world talk about so much, your diet and what supplements you're taking and, you know, the exercise you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's it's complicated because I think everyone is different. But I do feel these intangible aspects of life, what I label connect in my book, you know, connecting to yourself, connecting to your community and connecting to the world at large. To me, those are extremely important in in this whole concept of wellness. And so I often look at that um, when, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about what someone lacking, it's not just vitamin D or not enough fish oils, but it's also are they getting enough um, friendship and love in their life? Um, all these things are crucial to one's health. You know, I, I'm right there with you. And in fact, when you talk about the non-tangibles, there's there's such a resonance. In fact, uh, just this morning, I was going through some of the research and I stumbled across an article that was just published a couple of days ago in the British Medical Journal. And what these researchers looked at, it was a qualitative small study just with 10 people. They looked over 20 months and essentially what they found was that the most important driver for long-term weight loss was having trust and support with their yep. health professional trust like trust yeah. is what they netted out with it was you know if somebody has that sense of trust the foundational aspect of living trust and support tribe community yep yep you know to think that that out of everything they looked at was the number one thing can you wax on that a bit i mean what how does yeah. trust look in our lives what should we it, be aiming for how do we get more trust it it makes perfect sense and this is where I'm always a little bit wary of the tribes and communities created on social media, which I think are a good thing too. Don't get me wrong. But when you, you know, real trust comes from being around people, knowing that they're there for you, whatever, you know, at any time, whatever you do. And that comes from living in a community and being with people um, and being with them in a physical way. So I think trust is, is huge. I mean, I I can affirm that just from my practice. When someone trusts me and believes in me as a physician who's going to help them, the chances are that they're going to get better, whether I give them this supplement or that diet or whatever I do. The trust to me, I, you know, these are, that's one of the intangibles that I think are key to health. Having that trust and support is so important. The problem is, is that many people, number one, do not even trust their own bodies. They don't trust the government. They don't trust their neighbor. They don't trust their tribes. And they don't even have this. This is like the biggest complaint that I see within the communities that I work with, with healing programs. One of the biggest things is that they don't feel like their spouse supports them. Their partner supports them in these changes. And as a result, or even their kids, I have a patient who you know, her, her grown daughters don't support her life changes, even though she's had radical improvements in her health. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, how how do we get there when it feels like the world is against us? You know, we can talk very elusively about these non-tangibles, but unless they become practical and real and have a path, a beeline to get there, they just kind of remain out there. Um, great point. And I think you've touched on something that's very difficult um, even more difficult because there's no easy way or there's no um, 
there's no toolkit here. Um, in, in other words, it's not like you can go somewhere and they'll say do X, Y, and Z. I think it's different for every person. I mean, you know, we are complicated beings, and our, you know, our families, and our, you know, all these. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? These. Um, the dynamics in your family, the dynamics in your community, the dynamics with yourself are so key. And, uh, well, you know, it's really interesting. My daughter now is a therapist. Mm. And she and we often, you know, as she gets older, she's now 30, we're having more interesting conversations as she starts seeing patients. And she's made me so aware of all the dynamics of how important, you know, these inter- family dynamics are and the the dynamics between different parts are parts of ourselves and how we relate to each other how we one way with one person and another another way with another person um so i think these are the, the more you become aware of yourself and more in tune with yourself and start being how you i mean how you want to be people see that and and you can't change anyone else. You can change the way you are, and that hopefully will change the way are. But they are. But I do think these are extremely complicated issues. The, the dynamics of how we are with the different parts of ourselves, how we are with different members of our family, of our community, and there's no one way. And this is the beauty of life. Mm-hmm. And um, the more you become in touch with yourself, the more, and this is where meditation really helps, um, the more you tune into yourself and who you are and who you are in the world and how you relate to the world, the more it helps. And <clears throat> the best you can do is change yourself and become aware yourself. You can't change the way your kids react to it or your spouse or whatever. But I do honestly believe that in time, if you true to yourself, the, the others around you will see it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel like we are living in truth times. There's a lot of illusion. There's a lot of being fake. And then there's a lot of truth emerging. And it has to start with us. You know, you mentioning all of this makes me think of uh, there's a church where I live close to. And on the billboard in front of the church, it says, your life is only as happy as as you see it to be. Which yep. is kind of, you know, common sense, right but but it's it's profound. And to get to that place in our lives where we start to see it in that way that, wow, it's within our locus of control. Either we can see this as doom and gloom, or we can see this as potential and opportunity. So we have to make a choice. And I believe that truth is connected into our choices. One of my great spiritual teachers made the comment that we're the sum of all of our choices, and so we have to choose wisely as we go through life that it's, you know, everything has a consequence, of course. So I'm kind of curious with your book. I, I feel like, wow, this is super practical, which I like. I, I feel like we have to start there, make the practical, spiritual, the spiritual practical. And I'm kind of curious. It sounds like there are a lot of things. So how do people even dive into this and warm up to, you know, is it a matter of a, a buffet of options and you pick one and you portal into your growth? Or is there a staged process of how you get there? Right. No, so this is my going back to my Eastern route. You know, for so many years, I tried to understand Chinese medicine or and Eastern 
philosophy from a Western perspective. So what is chi? What is energy? And then I've got the understanding. Maybe it's the mitochondria. What are the meridians? Maybe it's the fascial parts. But so for all these years, I was trying to understand Chinese medicine from a Western perspective. And functional medicine did that to a certain extent for me. This book, I was going back to, well, why don't I put my understanding of Western medicine and a lot of the practical aspects I see helping people and put it into an Eastern perspective. And that's why I have a good medicine mandala. So the program's not a linear program. It's circular. It's a no-program program. Um, you know, it's it's all these tips, and you can enter at any point, and it's circular. You go, you start one place that you connect with, and then, you know, that jives with you, and you feel better. And as you said earlier, there's a ripple effect. So, yeah, it's a no-program program that you can enter at any point, and, and, and you don't have to go in any particular direction. You don't have to go at any particular speed. You are in the middle of the mandala. You are in control. No one else knows your body as well as you do. Um, there's no one way to be well. Some authority or doctor can offer their best assessment of your diet, of your routine, your lifestyle, your mindset. Um, but you have to interpret that information and express it in your own way. So the idea was to enter it at any point, go at your own speed, and see what happens over time. So, so it's, just, it's really a no, no, no program program. It's nonlinear. It's circular. It's sort of going back to the mandala. And in, and in you know, Eastern traditions, mandalas are um, uh, it's, a, it's a sacred symbol. It's used in many wisdom traditions. It's, always, it's almost always a circle, and it re represents wholeness and potential and the infinite. Um, and it actually represents the unknowable and the eternal as well, you know, this whole cosmos. And um, so the mandala is a way of establishing the sacred practice and, and meditating on it. And I know it's a bit grandiose to think like that, but that was sort of the idea of the whole mandala and thinking about your health in this way. Um, so it does sort of fit your model to, to, to a large extent. Oh, definitely. You know, I don't think in lines, I think in circles, circles yep. are very feminine. They're connected to story, yep. myth, metaphor, archetype. Yep. And like you said, they're cosmic. They're, they're timeless. So I really like that because uh, I feel like people have been in the mode of rigidity and they need a little bit more flexibility and to move out of those thinking ruts and into a space of where they really do feel complete and whole. Yeah. Since you are connected into traditional medicine and, you know, mandalas and meditation and ancient ways of healing, one of the, the aspects of healing that I have really focused a lot of the work that I do on is that of color. And the reason why is because it's a, a unifying force. It's something that we can all share in. It's in nature. It's in our bodies. It's in our the, the foods that we're eating, the clothing that we are wearing. And so I want to get your take. First of all, I'd like to know what your favorite color is. Usually I start the show this that way, but I just felt like diving into your book straight away. I'd love to know, number one, your favorite color. And number two, what do you think, either scientifically or intuitively, about the role of color in healing? I think there's 
obviously something to it. I know absolutely nothing about it, to be quite honest. It's one of those areas that I've never really explored. Um, I'm more audible. I'm like obsessed with music and sound. Um, but I think color is really, really important. My wife is very into the whole colors and, and, and that aspect of healing. It's, 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 to be quite honest, one area I've never really explored, although I think there's a lot to it, and I know that's your thing. So, um, well, I'm kind of curious um, because even the medicine wheel uh, yeah, is for different color associations. And I'm yep. just curious, you know, you don't have to be an expert in it, but have you noticed the use of color in certain healing traditions? I mean, even the Samueli Institute did some work on optimal healing environments yep. and using different colors in a hospital room, helping people Absolutely. to heal faster. I don't know. There's no question certain colors. Yeah, look. I, I agree with you. I just don't, it's not an area that I've never explored deeply or really understood as much, but I absolutely intuitively know there's something to it. You know, you, um, so, uh, but I can't give you a really intelligent, knowledgeable answer on it, except I know intuitively there's something obviously to it. Um, but I can't really go further. I'm sure you, you and your audience know probably 10 times more than I do about it. Well. In terms of my <laughs> in it, terms of my favorite color, it tends yes. to be in the blue purple range. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So um, I can see that. Yeah, you know, blue purple within the spectrum and the symbolism of blue purple is. Um, it is about the higher intellect. It's about wisdom. It's about intuition. And then on the physical side, it's about mood, dreaming, sleeping, the collective unconscious, even our subconscious mind. And so it's it's very deep, you know, and it's in its way of being connected into the larger expanse of knowledge. And that's definitely how I see you. So to me, that, that kind of makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. So... Upon, you know, listening to all of this is great, and I always enjoy talking with you. What I also like to leave the listeners with is essentially three main takeaways. I mean, obviously, we want them to read your book, which is called How to Be Well, and it's full of practical tips, so they can dive in there with lots of different things to take away and do. For the sake of this podcast, what might be three things that they could get started with three basic really easy simple things well let's just talk conceptually uh, uh, the most important thing i want people to understand is the extraordinary power of ordinary actions both large and small so the things we do on a daily basis have a huge huge impact on your healing and your health i think that's an overarching concept of the book. Um, so three things that I would say, um, watch your tech habits. So whether it's taking a digital detox or, or not having your gadgets at the dinner table or having an electronic su um, sundown, I think be very aware of how tech is controlling you and take control over your tech habits. That would be number one. Number two would be move your body. It's not about exercising per se and going to the gym. It's just moving your body as much as you can. Um, and 
Thirdly, would be find some type of practice. You know, you don't have to call it meditation, but I think um, some inward practice, you know, I'm a big fan of meditation. Obviously, it's changed my life, but finding something that actually not only helps you switch off to all the external nonsense going on in your life, but also helps you turn within and get in touch with who you are. So those would be my three. I mean, I could give you 10 more. But, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sure you can. You can give us hundreds more. Right. I think sometimes it's um, it's just digestible to have smaller bits that we feel like we could really, I mean, we really, I could have asked you for one. But I'd like to give people variety. So moving away from tech, getting some movement and developing a practice, whether meditation, mindfulness, something along those lines to get you in that still space. Yep. I like it. I think for me, I'd, I'd choose the tech one because I feel like I'm just on the computer way too much. And I am a yeah. person where if you told me, hey, Deanna, I want you to leave your phone at home, I would kind of have a slight panic. Like, oh, my gosh, what if I get into an accident or I need to call somebody or, you know, I, I kind of go into that survival mode of how much that phone is really connected into our daily living. And gosh, you know, the day of when we didn't have these things. <laughs> right. uh, uh, so I'm going to work on that. Because I think that's a normal reaction. Right. But try it, try it and you'll see. It's very okay. rare that something urgent happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just with, uh, I was just in New York City with um, the group at Equinox and one of the the guys there was talking about how he does uh, the sundown one. So from Friday night and then into Saturday night, he makes sure that uh, he he doesn't answer his phone. He's completely yep. unplugged. So yeah, I like that. Yeah, I take like a digital Sabbath. Yeah, a digital Sabbath. That's right. That's right. But he is on Sunday, so you know he's back in the groove. But uh, yeah, one full day. I think that sounds right. Yep. Dr. Lipman, it's been a pleasure, as always. It's a pleasure to too. Success Thanks, to you this, with this book. And uh, I know it's it's just going to be a, a knockout. People are going to want to add this to their collection. So thank you for being so gracious and really coming from the place of service and all that you do. Thank you, Deanna. And thank you for everything you do. 